Hi, this is Music, Movies, and Moods. I'm Noe, and this is a podcast journal for me to talk about what I think is magic and mystifying and memeable about the media I consume. So let's talk. This week, we've got a new one and an old one. The old one is the album. I know this is going to surprise you, but today I want to talk about an album that was released in the 70s by a British band. I know. So unlike me. <laughs> 10 CC's How Dare You, which is their fourth album. And the movie is going to be Asteroid City by Wes Anderson. It will bring me great joy to talk about the 10 CC album, and it will bring me grief to talk about the Wes Anderson movie. But you know what? I'm still going to enjoy doing both. So How Dare You, I said it was the fourth album by 10 CC. And Hypnosis, which I've never had to say out loud and hoped I'd never have to until I realized it's probably just Hypnosis and not Hypignosis. Hypnosis did the album art. They were a British design group and they did a lot of other stuff like Pink Floyd and, and Led Zeppelin covers. And there's actually a list on Wikipedia for all you people who like lists. So Hypnosis did the album cover. As usual, it's telling like a compelling story using photos. So I don't have the vinyl. I wish I did. I think I'll probably go and look for it now. But it looks like the fold out. And so it's a big group of people. And the band is among them. The cover is a husband and wife, presumably, because he's got the picture on his desk, yelling at each other. And it's like a split screen phone call shot. She's upset. She's in a bathrobe smoking a cigarette. Her hair and makeup is messed up. He's clearly yelling. Um, there's like a couple getting into a convertible in the background. And then there's also this really good shot of a guy in a telephone booth on the phone, possibly threatening or blackmailing a flight attendant who's like in a hotel room. And then there's some stuff going on in the background of each. Honestly, this is the perfect pick for a 10cc album. I don't really see them get talked about very often. I think my first exposure to their music was Bob Fossil or Rich Falter dancing in The Mighty Boosh to Dreadlock Holiday. And then I got totally hooked on Worst Band in the World, which I think is one of the coolest songs, and was in a mood, I don't know, and I've been wanting to talk about this album. I've been thinking about it and definitely agree with anyone who says that Fans of Sparks or They Might Be Giants could also be fans of 10cc. There are a lot of stories and a lot of silliness and absurdity in the lyrics. So here are some words I would use to describe them as a group. I already said absurd. Wordy. There are a lot of great vocab words in their songs. Nonsensical. Vulgar. Indecent. Sinister. Chaotic. But also witty as hell and wildly creative. And really great at creating characters that you feel like you're you're seeing them as you listen to their music. And I mean, I think art pop is a good way to describe them for sure. The band split off into another group called Godly and Cream. They have a song called Hospital Song on their L album that is one of my favorite songs to listen to in the car and just scream loudly to. They're probably one of the only groups who can get me to sing loudly in my car about pissing. If you know the hospital song, you know. Let's start with the first song. Title, the title song, How Dare You. It's a really, I would say, upbeat, almost kind of like a hopeful sort of instrumental. It has a lot of, like a lot of 10cc songs, there are a lot of transitions, like chapters 
and segments to the song. The whole album is like that. I think it's a nice intro. Certainly shows off every instrument they used. When you go to the wiki to see all the instruments, uh, here are some ones I noted. Sleigh bells, a Levi zipper, a zither. Zithers are so freaking cool. Bongos, a triangle, castanets. You hear castanets, you do hear them. The whole album is honestly just very smooth. It's well-produced. It doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't feel like they got it out of the door quickly. And every song just feels so layered. Definitely feels like work was put into it to polish it. Lazy Ways is the next song. It's so pretty and pleasant. And you do feel a bit of a Latin influence. You hear those castanets. I'm pretty sure I'm hearing the zither in that one. And it just results in a big sweeping worldly sort of sound. It really reminds me, well, the lyrics really remind me of Summer Vacation as a kid. And it's kind of funny, too, because I can see how the whole album would be like a summer album. I've been wanting to talk about albums having seasons for a while, because I think we all have albums we listen to at certain times of the year or that remind us of certain times in our life. So Lazy Ways is a summer song. As far as what season the whole album is, I, I just don't know yet. We'll have to wait to see. I Want to Rule the World reminded me a lot of the Kinks Preservation Act 2 for obvious reasons, if you know that album. It's kind of like a wannabe dictator character here. So basically, my cat Squiggy, who we call the little dictator. The chorus is so Bee Gees, and it's kind of what keeps me coming back to the song, because otherwise it's just a little silly. So that chorus, I think, makes it definitely a worthwhile listen. The next song is I'm Mandy Fly Me. And oh my gosh, it's a jam. This song is an absolute jam. So if you've read the story, there was this ad campaign with National Airlines where it would be like a beautiful, young, thin flight attendant and it would say, I'm this name. I'm Cheryl. Fly me. And um, flight attendants are always being over-sexualized, by the way. If you look up movies about flight attendants, it's that Kaylee Cuoco TV series and a lot of other really um, interesting search results. But that poster inspired the song. It was changed to Mandy. So I'm Mandy, fly me. And the song opens with a clip from Clockwork Creep, which is on another 10cc album, which is a song I'm pretty sure from the perspective of a bomb on a plane. There's no boring day with 10cc. And so now our poor protagonist is on this plane, and it crashes, which I think is the scariest thing to happen to anyone. Fills me with absolute terror, like Nightmare Zone, for sure. So the plane crashes, and he sees Mandy, and she basically saves him. She kisses him back to life, and when they find him, he says, go find Mandy. (laughs) Where is she? And they can't find her. I love the little, like, seatbelt on light sounds in the song. I love the atmosphere that is created in the song. I love that, of course, she's not there, right? It's like third man syndrome. Oh my gosh. I think I, Mandy Fly Me is definitely the highlight of the album. And there are some other pretty great ones for sure. And some real clunkers. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Iceberg. Love it. It's so breezy. The vocals are fun. I love the harmonies. 
as usual, it's that sinister shift that the song leads you through that makes me want to keep listening. That line, I was an orphan and I couldn't help it. I've been in and out of trouble ever since they left me in a basket on the freeway. And the very Bowie to me, lie, 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 die, die, die. Not to mention, I'll always be behind you in the fog. That's a really great threat, I think. Art for Art's Sake is one of my absolute favorites on the album. It's such a sleazy rock song about greed and money and lust. It was, I think, the first one on the album that really connected with me. It has a lot of little, like, mood shifts. And I know I I mentioned the King's Preservation Act, too, because it's actually one of my favorite albums. But this would definitely be right at home with that album. Rock and Roll Lullaby, it does what it says it's going to do. It delivers exactly that. A rock and roll lullaby. Could it be edgier? Yeah, but it's actually pretty sweet. I like the fuzzy guitar. It would surprisingly be a sweet song to sing to a kid. I scanned the lyrics. I don't think there's anything scary, um, unlike another song that I'm going to bitch about in a minute here. I think the other huge hit on the album is Don't Hang Up. The harp gives it this really glittery, romantic feel, and then mixed with the mention of Errol Flynn. You know, it's a this is one of their love songs, and... 10CC, though, really can't help themselves. It descends into Volavance exploding and an endless limousine and a failed relationship. The The line, marriage on the rocks, always makes me roll my eyes, but the rest of the song kind of makes up for it. I know I never had the style or dash of Errol Flynn, but I love you. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. I mean, it sounds like he really blew it, but that's really sweet. The next song is Headroom. And I actually hate this song. I don't know who would want to listen to this. Don't read the lyrics. It's gross. I just don't like it very much. Get It While You Can is just not as fresh as the rest of the album. It's a bit schmaltzy for me. And I don't have that much to say about it, so I'm not going to waste anyone's time. So from my perspective, like I said, I think the album is just really beautifully produced. It's beautifully recorded. If you can go grab yourself a pair of headphones... You get to hear everything just glow. Don't you love that about headphones? Also, I take umbrage with something and I want to talk about it. So it's not news to me that, you know, my taste in music, eh, it's not exactly usual for maybe my gender or my age group. I don't really give a shit. I like what I like. If I think it's good, then I like it. Okay. Music like this always gets labeled as like dad pop or dad rock or something. Um, which is funny at first, but then the more I think about it, the more it kind of just makes me angry because we're like, okay, yes, this is a band of all men. Sure. Telling male stories, but, um, just dads, huh? Just dads. What are the moms listening to? Or do we not care? Hmm. I'll be pondering that for a while. Let's talk about movies. So as I said, I watched Asteroid City, which is a Wes Anderson movie that came out this year. And as usual, a huge, massive, gigantic cast of names that you're going to recognize. People who have been in his movies before, maybe a couple new ones. And I really wanted to say that I liked the movie. I did. Because some of his earlier movies, like Rushmore and The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou and Royal Tenenbaums, Those are some of my favorite movies. 
Like Life Aquatic is one of my absolute favorite movies, top five. I always list it. And I remember seeing Life Aquatic and thinking, oh my gosh, movies like this can exist. Like we can basically have a movie that is as fun as Pee-wee's Big Adventure and is colorful and imaginative and it can have a kick-ass soundtrack and it can have real depth and characters that we really care about and it can be stylized. I don't know. I just felt like, I just felt like, wow, this is what movies can be. And then I think probably around the time of Fantastic Mr. Fox, for me, it kind of fell apart. And really, that's a pretty short period of time we're talking about here. But those movies were really meaningful to me and to everyone else who saw his movies and thought, wow, I think this is my, this might be my favorite director, especially considering Tim Burton. Well, we'll get to him another time. I'll talk about you later, Tim. Moonrise Kingdom lost me a little. Didn't care about the kid romance. Did like seeing Bruce Willis. I didn't realize I complained about kid romances and talked about Bruce Willis so much until I started this podcast. But I did recently see Grand Budapest. And yeah, it took me like nine years. And I did really like it a lot, despite the fact that, I don't know, cover your ears. I had to see an old woman giving Ray Fine a blowjob. And that image is never going to leave my brain. But Wes Anderson doesn't let his actors act anymore. And that's really going to be my main criticism. But don't worry, because I thought of some other things. But I do want to make it known. I wanted to like this movie. I wanted to feel that emotional connection that I felt at the end of Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. So I'm going to try to organize everything into magic, mystifying, and memeable. In my last episode, I think I said mystical instead of mystifying. And I didn't feel like changing it. So I didn't. But magic, let's start with the good stuff, okay? Magic, the kids. And there are a lot of kids in this movie. I love the little freckled redheaded kid. I love Jason Schwartzman's little girls. They are absolutely delightful. And I think I like the kids so much because they haven't been Wes Andersoned yet. I'm defining Wes Andersoned as kind of being like turned to stone where you're not allowed to emote or show any real emotions. And everyone is pretty much forced to act like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in The Royal Tenenbaums, which was fun in The Royal Tenenbaums because that was her character. Right now, everyone's like that. Um, Magic. Matt Dillon, who my husband thought looked like Bruce Campbell, and he does. He's delightful. I thought he was awesome and funny. I don't know if he's been in another Wes Anderson movie, but I think Wes Anderson would be doing something right to bring him back. I loved Dinah, who was Scarlett Johansson's character's daughter. I loved the little motels. The set reminded me of two video games. Gas Station Simulator, obviously. I mean, come on. And The Long Drive. And it must be a thing when they were building freeways out west that there would just be a freeway ramp to nowhere, because that's also in Gas Station Simulator. Yeah, my cultural touchstone for this movie is Gas Station Simulator. I don't really feel like talking about it. I was anxiously awaiting Tilda Swinton, as if Tilda Swinton provides me with necessary comfort. After seeing her in 3,000 Years of Longing with Idris Elba, I can definitely confirm that she is a source of comfort to me. And she's definitely sweet in this movie. But unfortunately, her character suffers from this thing that a lot of other characters do, where they don't really show much emotion, but then suddenly they're just burying their souls and telling their whole life story to someone they just met two minutes ago. 
Um, Something that would take, I think, most people years of therapy to get through. But (laughs) what do I know? I think it's surprising that Wes Anderson even made a movie at this point in his career that doesn't take place in Europe and that we even got to see the American Southwest at all. And I'm a big fan of the paranormal elements. I love aliens. I can't decide if I'm an alien or an earthling most days. Another magic bit for sure is Jeffrey Wright. Um, He was in the French Dispatch. I think he was the star of the French Dispatch, aside from Benicio Del Toro. And he was hysterical in this. I think he was the only character I laughed at. I think I laughed twice in the whole movie. Not that Wes Anderson movies need to be comedies, really. But I think it was supposed to partially be a comedy. So, but I'm talking about what I liked right now. Steve Carell got to be his charismatic, funny self. And that was not removed from him. That life did not get sucked out of him. And it kind of seemed out of place in the movie at times. We only got to see Jeff Goldblum a little bit, but he was immediately funny and took me back to the magic of Life Aquatic. Willem Dafoe, as always, a treat, but I hated all of those acting scenes. And he was wearing some sandals that I found very distracting, so it was hard for me to focus on anything else. Also, now that I'm looking at the cast, I spotted Bob Balaban a couple times and he didn't even get to talk. That's such a waste of Bob Balaban, don't you think? Um, Tony Revolori, silent, where's the respect? I really liked Jake Ryan as Woodrow, and I know I already said it, but I liked Grace Edwards as Dinah. I was talking about just her character name, because I think that's the only character name I can remember. The rest of them made me roll my eyes back into my skull. So here's the meaty segment of my discussion here. Mystifying. Found a lot about this movie mystifying. (sighs) Where do I start? Tom Hanks. I think I've just seen too many Tom Hanks movies in the past couple years, but the shine's starting to wear off, and I feel like if I let that happen, then I'm really sinking into some kind of pit of despair and bitterness, you know? So I think I just need to give some space between me and Tom Hanks, but I am going to blame the movie The Terminal for that, because I think about that movie all the time, but it's mostly because it bothers me. There are so many unanswered questions about The Terminal. Anyway, Tom Hanks, I don't know. I'm going to think about it. That might not be all on Wes Anderson there. That might just be me. The movie actually manages to make me dislike Jason Schwartzman to an extent where, like I said, with high fidelity, he's not entertaining me anymore. And sometimes he's funny. Sometimes I like to watch him. I called that scene with Edward Norton, by the way. I called it right before they, I said, are they gonna, because they were like eating ice cream off of the same spoon. That's, that could be construed as uh, intimate. You know, Edward Norton, though, I want to talk about Edward Norton for a minute. I don't know what it is about that guy. At best, I can tolerate him. At worst, he pretty much fills me with rage. And when he popped up in this movie in that bathrobe, that southern accent, I could feel the rage bubbling up inside of me. And something happens with his character at the end. Uh, This is full of spoilers. This isn't a movie trailer, you know. Basically, when they say that his character dies at the end, I felt nothing. Because I felt nothing through this entire movie. Well, I did feel a couple things. And that is that I was overstimulated from the like, I don't know if that's a bell or a piano or a triangle or something, but the soundtrack to this is a lot of um, like old country western songs like Slim Whitman and this dinging. My cats are really sensitive to sounds like that. 
And so part of my anxiety was worrying that the cats were bothered by it, but really I was just bothered by it. And what a twee thing to do. So twee. To just say, "Mm, I'm actually going to let the characters tell the story here. And the music's just going to be a ding, 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 ding. Maddening. Completely maddening. Really thank heavens for the kids because all other adult performances aside from Steve Carell and Jeffrey Wright are so stiff. I, I always use the term paper doll, but it's like this perfect little set dressing and everything, everything's going to make a great screenshot, you know? And then no one gets to feel, no one gets to sit with their lines. Like one thing I love about the actor Bill Nighy is that he acts in a way where he, it's like he's thinking of what he's saying in real time, like a person does. And it's, it's fine that Wes Anderson movies aren't like that, but they, they get stiffer and stiffer as time goes on. Everyone is so smart and confident and they just kind of brush everything off and they know exactly what they're going to say next. And at least the Brainiac kids had an excuse. I was thankful for that because at first I'm like, oh my God, I I can't handle a whole movie with like 20 precocious genius kids. But that's exactly what they were supposed to be. So I'm not going to complain. Why was Maya Hawk talking like that? Who told her to talk like that? I'm going to leave it at that. There is a part in the movie where I had to see a bunch of kids singing and dancing to a country song. It was about aliens, but overall I felt that was unfair to me after all I've done for Wes Anderson. Because that really was a combination of a lot of things I can't stand. The you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep scene kind of to me made the whole movie feel like Kirk's film that he makes in Gilmore Girls. I noticed that Jarvis Cocker was one of the cowboys and he has a song on the soundtrack. I don't have the energy to get into it right now, honestly. Another mystifying thing is the extremely, I'm going to say twee again, but the extremely twee names of Wes Anderson. And I know Roman Coppola also wrote the movie. The character names. Half of their name was always like a famous person. But Woodrow, you're naming your kid Woodrow. I believe that you would name your cat Woodrow. And I have to say, I'm guilty. These are the kind of names I was giving my characters in like high school and college. And honestly, if you wanted to give character names like that, but then make a movie that makes me feel something, then throw out as many Woodrow's, Salzburg, Conrad, Earp, Schubert Green, Augie Steenbeck. Throw out as many of those as you... Dr. Hickenlooper. Throw as many of those out as you want if I'm going to give a shit about these characters for once. (sighs) Jeffrey Wright, I want you to know that none of this is about you because you are perfect. Now let's have some fun for just a minute before we descend back into the madness. Memeable? Yeah, there were some memeable things. I'm going to invoke the name of Jeffrey Wright again because he had that line where they're bringing him a letter from the president and he goes, he's furious. And then he throws the paper and he's like, thanks, Ricky. The little girl's talking to their dad, Jason Schwartzman. Are we orphans now? And him just being annoyed with it. I liked the stop motion alien, but I did feel robbed of Jeff Goldblum as the alien. Also, I completely missed the nudity in this movie. I rented it on Amazon Prime and I kept waiting for Scarlett Johansson to be naked because I'm like, it's going to be Scarlett Johansson. You know, she was like in the tub all the time. Um, I didn't notice it. I don't know if I looked away for like one minute. And that's perfectly fine with me because a lot of the movie felt like a kid's movie. So why do we even require nudity? I keep complaining about Wes Anderson's paper doll people, 
And I want to wrap this up here by saying that there's a significant difference between his past movies and the way his actors act now. Just watch the trailer to Life Aquatic and you'll see that Bill Murray and the rest of the cast yell and laugh and cry and they smile. They smile at each other even. Oh my God, can you imagine? But there's such a difference. And so when I see people talking about his movies like they expect to like them all equally, I don't understand. Wes Anderson has totally lost me at this point. And this movie was so hard to follow. There were so many plots. Well, things I thought would be plots that just went nowhere. There was no real mystery. Nothing felt wrapped up. It was really difficult to understand at times and not like in a, you're not smart enough to get it, but like it was just purposely confusing at times, particularly with the whole meta narrative thing, which I think could be a lot of fun. But most of the time I was just annoyed that we were being taken out of the desert story to see these actors because I barely care about the people in the desert story and I definitely don't care about the actors playing them. Maybe I could, but I don't. Unfortunately, his movies are just a disappointment to me at this point. I could possibly stop watching them, but I also like to watch these so I at least have an informed argument. And I don't know, maybe he'll make another movie that I can feel any kind of emotional connection to. I actually want to follow up with a friend of mine who I know likes newer Wes Anderson movies and pick his brain about what he thinks worked with this movie and what he liked because maybe it'll help me see this movie from a different perspective or or give it some more grace or something. Maybe there's something I'm missing. But for now, I'm just not feeling it. And I want to watch a movie I like next. That's my goal. I do have some things lined up. I'm not going to give it away, though. And you can't make me. What about my mood? My mood? Well, right now, I'm just kind of in a lot of pain. Because that's what happens when you have a sore back and you don't do your stretches when you should. But my mood, my mood lately is hopeful and largely positive, but I pretty much just have to keep a really close eye on my mood at this time of year with it being winter and dark and gloomy and everything. Pretty much just have to keep my mind and my body busy and look forward to the holidays. My next episode might be holiday themed. We'll see. In the meantime, I hope everyone is doing well. I hope everyone is treating themselves with care and with love as much as they can. And I want to thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. This is Music, Movies, and Moods. I'm Noe, and we'll talk soon.